You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard McDowell, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at both Locked On WBB and, of course, at Summit Hoops, two T's in honor of Pat, where you can get 24-7 coverage of the world of women's basketball, high school, college, pro, and beyond. And somebody who has succeeded, and that is putting it mildly, at every one of those ventures uh, is now, of course, a vital voice, someone who uh, popped up in a box in the fourth quarter of an Ohio uh, State-Maryland game, which I was very pleased to see what was otherwise a blowout, and that's Rebecca Lobo. Uh, Rebecca, was that something uh, that you had always dreamed of uh, at ESPN, was someday to be in a box during a blowout? To pop up during a box, you know, I've been I've been fighting and clawing the last few years to uh, to let them uh, to have them let me be popping up in a box during <laughs> a blowout. It's funny, my my seven year old said to me um, just last night. She said uh, she said, you know, how come you get to sit in a room sometimes when when you're talking ball game, but sometimes you have to sit at the game. So <laughs> she's uh, she's trying to figure it out. If she sees me pop up in a box, it'll give her. a Uh, even more confusion in her little brain. (laughs) I I mean, you know, joking aside, and and obviously there's there's a certain strange aspect to television work that comes with, like, sometimes you just pop up randomly in a shape, you know? Uh, But there's there's something to be said, I think, for incorporating you into coverage in the games themselves that you're not even at. And and it seems like there's sort of a next step that's being taken between, you know, getting uh, you to be more omnipresent, uh, even just like small things that, you know, we're watching Debbie Antonelli dribbling uh, down the hallway, uh, you know, outside of the, uh, the Maryland game, uh, during, you know, coming out of a commercial break. It seems like there's more of an embracing of personalities uh, on, on the women's side at ESPN. Do, do you see that internally as well? Yeah, I think so. I, I think a little bit. And, and for sure on that game, I loved it when they were showing Beth and Debbie dribbling. And, and that's credit to the producer, Carrie Callahan, who does a great job on women's college basketball games. And, and my guess is that was her idea along with um, Deb and Beth. And I think there's definitely been a concerted effort to make it feel like the studio and the game crew is, you know, it's it's one thing going back and forth. You know, we, we, we're listening to them. When we're in studio, we're listening to the game crew. And, uh, and when we're calling games at halftime, we're listening to studio and we're, we're trying to make sure it feels at home like it feels to us, which is, you know, one big group of basketball fans um, listening to one another and, and talking about the same telecast. Yeah, I think there's a lot to it, and, and and I think it's a real positive development. As someone who's you know gotten to know you and and Debbie and Beth professionally as well, to be able to share that side of things and 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 make it feel like you know there's sort of a community all in it together is really significant. And so, and, I'm, oh, sorry, go ahead. And I was just saying we're having fun. You know, yeah. we, we get to watch basketball and talk about basketball, and we're really enjoying doing it. And I think. Um, it's it's okay to show that that we're having as much fun as the fan at home. The difference is, um, you know, we're not living and dying by every play of a certain team like people are at home, but we sure are enjoying what we're watching. 
Yeah, and, and it clearly shows, and, and it's just been great to see. And obviously there's something coming up on Thursday that I think everyone's going to be enjoying, whether you're a partisan or uh, simply looking at the game as basketball itself. And that is game you're going to be uh, part of the broadcast crew on, Texas against Baylor on Thursday night. And the place I'd like to start is someone you were highlighting uh, in your box moment, and that is uh, Kalani Brown. I, I just want to throw a number out there to sort of uh, – center the discussion that her points per possession this year 1.314 uh, leads the country uh, but it doesn't just lead the country this year I just want to compare it to Kelsey Plum last year she was at 1.209 I mean one of the great offensive seasons in in modern basketball history and Kalani Brown's efficiency up over 70 percent from the field has her significantly beyond that even beyond Brianna Stewart's uh, 1.207 from her senior year at Connecticut. What is it that you're seeing specific to this year that really stands out and has allowed her to uh, elevate even over what she did last season, which was impressive in a more uh, limited capacity? Yeah, I think it's a part of it is just simply she's more of a focus of what they're doing. You know, uh, Baylor lost a lot, not only Nita Davis, but but Prince and Alexis Jones, you know, it, it, she had to become more of a, a focus on the offensive end of the floor, and she's clearly ready for it. Um, you know, you talk about her efficiency. So much of that is because, um, you know, she's a finisher. She is big and strong. She works hard early. She gets her position. Um, but she also is able to hit the free-throw line jumper as well. She she is just going to be a handful for any team that um, that goes against her because of her size and her skill. You cannot guard her with one defender and expect her um, to just have an off night. It, it, it doesn't happen because of where she catches catches the ball and her ability to finish. It's um and, and then couple that with she's a great free throw shooter. You know she's just under eighty percent from the line and and that um, isn't always the case with big players too. So. Um, you know, I, I love it when, when there's a post, of a, you know, kind of a traditional back-to-the-basket post who is a focus of the team's offense, and, and she's being allowed to, to be that player this year. Now, what's interesting is she's not doing this in a vacuum either. When you have Lauren Cox, and, and, and it's striking to me sort of the different ways we've seen Brown and Cox working together uh, obviously, they're getting more time on the floor and getting you know more of an opportunity to shoot the ball, uh, like you said, with uh, a number of players having moved on. But it seems a lot of times you got a cock serving as the rim protector and allowing Brown to sort of be the high in the high-low post uh, setups. What are you seeing there, and what is it about Lauren Cox's development that has allowed both Brown to excel and also Baylor to be one of the best offensive teams and defensive teams in the country? Well, I was talking about this a little bit in studio. There's nothing better for a, um, a a strong post presence than to have your other post player be a good passer because mm-hmm. with vision, whether it's in the high-low or block-to-block, you, you're always looking for your partner, your post partner. And it's such a luxury for Brown and Cox to both have that in one another because Brown's a good passer and Cox is a really good passer. And um, especially with Cox on the floor because, you know, she's only taken a handful, but she can, she can make threes. She's very capable at the, you know, 17-foot pull-up. Um, so you can't sit in the lap of Brown when Cox is, is out there. You have to come out and guard her. She's very capable of passing it in. They're both really good getting to the offensive glass because 
you know, you're going to have multiple defenders, multiple bodies going to try to box one of them out, and that leaves the other one um, maybe a little bit more freedom. So it's just a perfect post-partnership, I think, um, between the two of them. You have two posts who can face up, who can play with their back to the basket, and and most importantly to me, their, their willingness and ability to pass not only out of double teams, but to pass to one another. They they just play off one another so well. And uh, it's interesting watching, you know, I was watching this morning some of the matchup from last year, the second game between Texas and Baylor, and Cox barely played. Mm-hmm. You know, she wasn't getting a lot of minutes, a lot of run. And um, and her role this year has changed, you know, with, with Nina Davis gone and, 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 you know, just the different players. Cox is, is a, a, a big piece of what they do. And um, and she and Brown have just really, really found uh, found their group together. I mean, it's such a great point you made about passing. When you when you look at the numbers too, that both Brown is Brown's up over twelve percent uh, assist percentage, uh, which is really solid for you know for a true five. And Cox is over eighteen percent. I mean, it, it's just you know numbers that you wouldn't necessarily expect from someone who's capable of doing all the things that she does. I I guess and this sort of ties into your point about. A traditional post is this in essence what we should expect from traditional posts moving forward that you know even someone like Brown even someone like Cox where there really is this uh, need to extend out to the three-point line just because the game uh, right now is so much a game of spacing I think you you need one of them too. It's helpful for one of them too, and you need to have guards around you who can shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's interesting for me. Like if I I've been going to more high school girls basketball games, and even at the middle school level, everything is five out because it's yeah. to have a big a big player is pretty rare still. Um, so everything is you know five out motion pass and move. Well, um, there's still a place for the big girl, especially when you have good ones. And, yes, you need the movement around them. You need guards who can shoot. It's really helpful to have that stretch four. Um, and, and the five still needs to be able to hit, you know, from 10 or 15 feet. But if, if the five has the right pieces around her and Brown does, then you can still be that dominant low block presence. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to come out and, and face all the time and pass and cut and catch on the move. Um, you can just dominate on the block. And, I, um, I mean, if any. seen that from her. If anything, you you might have an opportunity where someone, a specimen like Brown, someone who's built the way she is, who's so strong, who's so fundamentally sound, might be more effective just because people aren't used to seeing it defensively. Yeah, I mean, how often do you go against a six-seven player? Right, it, it just doesn't happen very much, and then and it's going to just get your your defense in a rotation because if you're going to double, you have to figure out where you're going to double from, and right now you can't really double from Cox. If you right. double off of Cox, higher low she's going to score. All right, so now which perimeter player are you coming from? Are they on the same side of the floor or the opposite side of the floor? So, yeah, I think it's got to give coaches um, a, a really big challenge. And it's one of the reasons Baylor faces so much zone is because, you know, you just, all right, we're going to pack it in and then and then figure out from there um, which players, if we're going to be late to a shooter, which one are we willing to be late to? So let's talk about that because, to me, one of the biggest latest indicators of what Texas is going to be as opposed to what they've been so far is that we're seeing more Joyner Holmes and she played 21 minutes against Texas Tech in that 
uh, lopsided win the other day and 23 against Kansas as well. And Jordan Holmes, when you just think about it from a pure size and versatility perspective, is someone who is going to be so vital, I would think, to defend what Baylor is throwing at them. Do you see it that way? And, and, and what is your thought generally on sort of what Texas is going to have to throw at Baylor on the defensive end of things? Yeah, I think Joyner Holmes is key. I don't think she's she's not there yet um, in terms of being back to where she was a year ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just watch her recent games and then if you go back and watch her from a February game last year, the the bounce in the step, the movement, the it, it's not the same. She's not the same player yet. But you know that's okay. Karen Aston understands that she's not going to be that player yet. It, the hope is for Texas is that she's that player in March. Um, and I think one of the reasons is not only on you know how what she can do to help defend um, Baylor's bigs, but offensively, you know she's the kind of big that's a handful for for Lauren Cox or for Kalani Brown to guard. You know the way she can get out and transition, lead them in the break, face up and go by with her quickness. Um, they had some issues. Baylor had some issues with her last year um, in the pressure she was able to put on them offensively. Can she do that um, in this matchup? I don't know. I don't know if she's there yet. It's a great sign that she's getting more minutes, but her productivity still isn't quite there. And I think probably as a result, her confidence isn't quite there. But will it be um, come Big 12 tournament? Will it be come NCAA tournament? I think that's the hope. Um, for for all the the Texas fans out there. So to your mind, LaShawn Hidge and Ariel Atkins, they're the ones who are going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting on the wins in order to create mismatches uh, against Baylor. Although, obviously also uh, Brooke McCarty and everything she can do uh, to create difficulties from the point guard position uh, would be significant as well. There is some history of very small point guards coming in and having significant success against Baylor, of course, as uh, Morton Williams showed uh, during the NCAA tournament last year. (laughs) Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, the, the Texas guards are so good. Um, you know, they, they are so good off of dribble penetration. They're so good in transition. They run the side break where they just push it up the floor and, and can score easily. Their, their bigs really impressed me in the matchup against Connecticut, how, how physical they were and how willing they were to battle and bang inside and, um, and, and create some problems. So, uh, you know, Karan Gaudreau, she is big and strong. Um, if she stays out of foul trouble defensively in this matchup, um, she's important. Um, I'm interested to see what White exactly can do with Brown. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, if the Texas guards are the ones, and, and they've got a little bit more experience, especially when Kim Mulkey goes to her bench. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's always fun. You know, you've got the, the guard play on one side that, that's favored, the post play on the other, and uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, if, if those guards were shooting threes the way they typically do uh, that night against UConn, I think we probably would have had a different result. I think it was 75-71 final, and they missed something like 12 of their final 14 threes down the stretch. But I, I agree, it's going to be a, a fascinating matchup. And, and so to that end, just when we're sort of tying the ball on Baylor and thinking about them as of right now, I'm really struck by the fact that we're talking about this. It seems like there aren't real answers, not just relative to Texas, but for almost any team that's going up against them, uh, against Kalani Brown, against Lauren Cox, there's all kinds of questions that's tough for teams to answer. And that reflects in the fact that Baylor is top six, both offensive points per possession and defensive points per possession. There are three teams like that in the top six nationally. It's Baylor, 
it's Yukon and it's Mississippi State. Well, if you look at uh, Russ Steinberg's bracketology over at the summit, uh, you'll see that Mississippi State and Yukon are number one seeds, and no one really disputes that. Uh, Baylor is not, and they're not a number one seed uh, in, the, in the top 16 seeds in the NCAA released most recently. A lot of that has to do with strength of schedule, but I wonder whether you think uh, that there is a reason to question whether Baylor is one of the top four teams in the country right now. Um, I think we'll get some of those answers after the game. You know, mm. that that's the hard thing is um, they haven't played a great schedule. You know, it's, uh, it's what, UCLA, Stanford, um, you know, Kentucky, you don't really look at that as, as a strong game anymore this no. year. This is, um, it's, it's hard to say how good Baylor is or, or can be relative to those other teams because most of them they haven't played. Right. And, um, and that's why I think this, this game is really important. And um, especially if, te- if the Texas team that shows up is the one that, that played against UConn, that played so well, even though, as you brought up, they didn't, they didn't shoot the three ball well after the first quarter. Um, so, you know, it's when I'm watching Baylor, you know, I don't even remember what I voted them in, in my latest um, in my latest AP poll. But, you know, they're, they're a really good team, but I want to see them against another really good team. And um, they, haven't, they haven't gone against one in, in a while. And, uh, and so we'll know more. We'll know more after this game. Do you feel as if a win over Texas alone would be enough to elevate them in your mind and elevate them in the conversation as to one of these number ones in the same way that it feels like Notre Dame really solidified itself with that epic comeback against Tennessee? Um, you know, but it's it's all not in a vacuum. You know, right now, yeah. my number one seeds would be what? UConn, Mississippi State. Um, you know, Louisville is still in the conversation, even mm-hmm. though they're, they're disappointing loss um, against Florida State. You know, Notre Dame from one week to the next plays <laughs> horribly and then and then looks like a, so much of a, a better team. So um, And Oregon, know, we'll, too. We'll kind of, yeah. yeah, of course, in Oregon. So, and you know, in 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 the weekend they had, you know, you lose yeah. uh, to Oregon State and then you beat Oregon State. So, you know, none of it happens in a vacuum. It's um, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch this matchup. It's gonna be fun to watch, you know, their their next matchup. Um, and 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 but again, it's um, I can understand why the committee has has made it very clear the past couple of years why they put such an emphasis on on strength of schedule. It's the only way to really know how good these teams are. And to be frank, it's better for fans as well. It just it encourages these teams to play more bigger games, and it ends up with more Thursday night showcases and more Big Monday uh, matchups. Without that, question. Yeah, we're all yep. excited about for sure. So let's talk about two teams before I let you go that are uh, really the consensus one and two right now. And it's interesting to me because it, it's Connecticut and Mississippi State. And so the way these two have sort of paralleled one another over the last few years, of course, uh, is uh, no secret to anyone. And to go from 98-38 to the victory the Mississippi State had last year, I think there was still a general belief that that was kind of a black swan event. And Mississippi State was better that night, but not necessarily consistently better uh, than Connecticut. But I think when you look at the numbers so far this year, it's a lot harder to make that case. Connecticut, I think we all expect it to be a little better than uh, they've been so far this year, which is a strange thing to say about a team that's 
undefeated and is beating you know everyone in sight. But I think there was a belief, at least uh, on my part and part of a lot of people I've talked to, that you know when you add a Stevens, when you when you add a Walker, uh, that that's a team that's going to go out uh, and route people consistently. And you compare it to Mississippi State, and you think about those two teams matching up, and it's hard to necessarily see someone who who you call, and I agree, uh, Tierra McAllen, the most improved player in the country. Uh, it's hard to see even who UConn guards her with and how they match up in that way. And Victoria Vivian's being so much more efficient is that much more difficult. And Morgan William is such a big game player that you know that she would come big if the two of them played. So thinking about it as this sort of a snapshot in time, do you see UConn as the clear number one or are they really one in 1A in your mind right now? Um, you know, they probably could be one in one A. Um, I think that's like it's that's turned into the great disappointment of this regular season. UConn played everybody that you could want them to play or has them on their schedule, mm-hmm. and uh, and then you're like, oh, I wish they were playing Mississippi State. That would be <laughs> the game, the game to watch. Um, yes. And uh, and and just Victoria Vivian's her efficiency. I mean, there were times in the past you'd watch her and just say, you know. She shoots too much, or she doesn't take the right shot, or whatever. And, and this year, um, you know, playing the four in, in their smaller lineup, she's thriving. Um, and and McCowan has just come so far. I mean, for players, for people who watched her as a freshman, and 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 to where she is now, and uh, on both ends of the floor, mm-hmm. you have to give Vic uh, Schaefer so much credit. Um, zero McDonald's All-Americans. None of those starting five are McDonald's All-Americans and, and how he's, he's shaped this team and each player fitting in her role. Um, I think right now where they're ahead of the game on UConn is defensively. Um, they're a better defensive team than, than Connecticut um, and, and their pieces fit so well together. He, it seems like he you know, has what he needs coming off the bench whereas the bench for, for Coach Oriama, especially when Kitty Lou Samuelson's out with injury and Azrae is starting is still even though they played great against Temple, that's one game. Um, so yeah, right now th- those two teams are uh, are 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 consistently the, the the two best teams in the country. I mean, McCowan, it, it, since a freshman, since a freshman year for sure. But even you look in the NCAA tournament last year, and she would get her points here and there, but there was no consistent yep. dominance, and there was the strength difference is so enormous with her. Uh, yep. From last year to this year, uh, you know that's something I'm really looking forward to. Is February fifth uh, when Mississippi State plays again, South Carolina, uh, and Asia Wilson is perhaps one of the few people in the country who you'd say, "All right, well maybe one on one she can defend her." But we're we're going to get some real answers ultimately, though, to what you're saying about UConn versus Mississippi State. If we don't get UConn Mississippi State three. In Columbus, I, I think that's going to be uh, a massive <laughs> disappointment, uh, just given uh, exactly the history and everything that's gone on, uh, and so many of the players still coming back. Uh, it's going to be fascinating. I, I just feels like it's destined to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, and think about that. Think about think about that statement after UConn 
crushes them two years ago. Mm-hmm. And then leading into the, uh, the the semifinal game, I don't know that there's anybody outside of uh, the Mississippi State locker room who gave them a chance. And and now we're saying, like, if, you're saying it could be the destined to happen for those teams <laughs> to play one another. And, and, and to your point about Tierra McCowan from last year to this year, last year, you know, she was a big kid out on the floor. This year she's a presence. Yeah. You know where she is on when she's on offense, and you better know where she is when she's on defense. She is a presence who is just going to impact the way your team defends, and it's going to impact the way your team attacks because of her ability to uh, to block shots inside. I mean, against Oregon, she was she went for thirty five and nineteen. I mean, that is right. a how many teams are bigger than Oregon and. Uh, they just had absolutely no answer for her whatsoever. So it's fascinating. Yeah. I, w- I will toot my own horn. I will say that at the dinner prior to Mississippi State-UConn, I didn't call it, uh, but I did point out that uh, we may be about to see, if it happens, the greatest upset in the history of college basketball uh, and maybe uh, the history of sports. Uh, but I did not go so far as but, to predict it. I was just hoping that if but we do, saw but do history... You say that at- do you say that at dinner before every time the night before you can plays anybody? Uh, pretty much, I, I you know I, I I tend I tend to talk off the underdogs at every at every turn, but uh, certainly you know having witnessed ninety eight thirty eight in person as well uh, and covered that, uh, I did not go in expecting it. But this year, I really I'm curious. I think Mississippi State was something like a twenty two point underdog uh, in that game last year. It won't be twenty two, and I wonder just how close it'll be. Uh, and what conventional wisdom will be if we get it, uh, you know, come the end of yeah. March, early April. Well, Rebecca Lobo, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing you on the call and seeing you in future boxes uh, everywhere that ESPN broadcasts. Thank you. And, and just to, to make sure people know, every other Thursday showcase is on ESPN 1. This particular one is on ESPN mm. 2. So make sure you find us there because it's going to be a great game. Not not to be missed. Adjust your DVRs accordingly. Yes, thank you. And That's thank right. you to our listeners. Uh, hope you enjoy the game and hope you enjoy this broadcast and hope you have a wonderful day.